So welcome to episode 13 of Roll for Enterprise, unlucky for some. And it was maybe a little bit unlucky for some of the big tech vendors, the FANGs, uh, as they were summoned in front of Congress to answer for their misdeeds, sort of, uh, except it didn't really seem to result in anything much. So the CEOs of Amazon, Facebook, Google, and Apple, and most of what I saw at least, seemed to be more grandstanding by politicians than any substantive questioning which let them off maybe a little bit too easily. What do you guys think of being the actual Americans on the show? Uh, it's a bit a bit back and forth. You know, I don't expect much from those type of hearings. But this one was actually pretty on point. I mean, the questions were good. The, uh, you know, and they, they put a lot of the, the CEOs on their, on their back foot. Uh, I think some of them, um, and you, you would imagine that they were well prepared, but the, the questioning was, was right up to what I would expect. I, I think the most interesting uh, part of it is they released like 1 million documents after and, and made them public after the hearing. And I think there you could see that the, this, this committee has done its homework. It, it had some some emails that were quite uh, damaging to to Facebook, to Apple, to Amazon. So it, it's quite interesting. And and I would say that probably Google took the Google and Facebook took the the brunt of it. Um, and you know, Apple kind of comes out like the shining uh, star in all of this. So I, I don't know your thoughts, Zach. Here, yeah, I thought it was interesting. I thought that um, Amazon kind of. Um answered and didn't answer the question. I thought that was really interesting, right? Where they said, look, you know, Bezos said it might be happening, but, you know, I don't know if it is happening. I, as far as I know, it is, or as far as I know, it isn't happening. And it should, which be basically happening. means it, which basically means it is right. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, when you really think about this, um, how many trillion dollar market caps do we have now? Three, right? So, and after earnings last night, you know, Facebook should change that symbol from the thumbs up to the middle finger because they just crushed it, right? They're just Zuckerberg. Just <laughs> we, really, we really don't care. Um, it's it's really interesting to me that that uh, it's almost, um, I felt like there was some arrogance there, I guess is what I'm saying. I felt like there was some arrogance, like, you know, yeah, it shouldn't be going on as far as I know it isn't, but that doesn't mean it, it isn't going on. So what does that mean? I mean, you... Yeah, that's what I meant when I said that they were let off easy. So we had I mean, some of the coverage I saw, and probably the news also went looking specifically uh, for the the more wacky stories. But some of it was, you know, why is my email getting sent to spam? And you ask that question to Sundar Pichai, you can't expect a, a detailed answer from it. But others, yeah, they they seemed unprepared. Like Tim Cook saying, "Oh, I have no idea if that happens. It may happen. It may not happen. Who knows?" Uh, it, it didn't sit well with me. They, they they didn't actually seem that well prepared to me, but they got away with it because the politicians weren't that well prepared either. Uh, but certainly lucky, you mentioned the earnings, certainly lucky that they did the the hearings before earnings were released, or I think that might have added an extra edge. Yeah, and you know that they're at the hearing and they're saying how um, you know you know they they could be hurt and and they cloak everything in like American patriotism and, and capitalism and and this is why America's so great and and then they say how it's how tough uh, the the environment is and then they they come on the next day and just blow out earnings everywhere and and you could see it's really kind of you know the haves and have nots I would say. And they're clearly the haves, so so they are hurting the competition 
uh, from every which way. I mean, it, it's really hard to penetrate uh, into the markets that these guys have. I, I think that's clear for everybody. Um, and then it's, you know, if you listen to what kind of Facebook had to say, I, I mean, and, and you look at how they approach the Instagram and WhatsApp, it's either like, we're going to copy you, we're going to acquire you, or we're going to kill you. And, and, you know, that's exactly what they're doing. Um, and I do think out of all this, Facebook is probably in the in the worst position because what you can see happening at Facebook is a split of like Instagram and WhatsApp. And probably Instagram is 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 probably more powerful now than the blue app. Uh, and, and that, I think, is is an existential crisis at, at Facebook. Uh, Apple, on the other hand, with the Apple Store and then, yeah, Amazon with third party sellers and so on. I, I, you know, it, it could go either which way. But. Yeah, from from a cloud perspective, I think that's um, I think that's where we'll see a lot of uh, value creation if if those you know GCP and, and AWS get split out. And how about Apple? Tim Cook, you mentioned Tim Cook, Dominic. It, you know, you repatriate a quarter of a trillion dollars, you get all that money, you know, you get all those tax benefits, and you're right, they sit up there and it's they're very very smug. And of course, I'm not saying that uh, I'm a capitalist at heart, so I'm not saying that they should you know th- shame on them for doing that, but. It's it's almost like they're uh, so powerful now. I, I feel like you're right. There's very very smug just the responses. I, I think this doesn't end here. I think it's going to continue. And let's all you know, uh, not to dive into politics, but you know, all these same players are sitting in the White House. You know, with um, you know, with the president during some of these councils and and talking through things. So it just makes you wonder where the power lies. It's really really uh, interesting how this is unfolding. So we'll see. They are the four. They are the four horsemen of tech. That's for sure. I mean, uh, the the control is there, and it's it's money and power. I think the only one who probably is at a, a back foot in in that group of four is um, is Sundar because he's not the 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 I, I guess the creator, the founder, and uh, you know he still has a board that's actually. Um, you know, has the founders on it. So I, I think he has probably the most to lose out of all the other three, but I think the other three can be, can be as smug as they, as they want. So. Well, I, I think when we talk about the cloud providers, I, I think, yeah, I think in general GCP, uh, I don't want to get off this subject, but I think GCP's probably of the three big cloud providers. You look at Microsoft, uh, Azure, you look at AWS and GCP. I think they're the ones that are, in my opinion, I don't know if I maybe use the word desperate. Why not? You know, a little, little struggling in my opinion uh, out there. So maybe he has, uh, he's got a lot in his plate right now. I think Google's got a lot of rough waters to, uh, to navigate. Definitely when it comes to cloud platforms. Yeah. And the, uh, the last Gartner report, they were down in single digit market penetration still. And that that's not ideal. And they've, they've got a lot of cool services and the individual services are quite well liked, but yeah, it's a, uh, it's not great. Uh, there's no question that AWS is way out there. And in AWS, uh, pardon me, in Amazon results, AWS clocks in at 29%, which is maybe below Amazon's goals for it. Uh, these, they're a little disappointed, but still 29% of overall Amazon results. So it's past $10 billion with a B uh, is uh, pretty impressive. I, I think so, and when you look at all the cloud players, I mean, they all saw. Surprisingly enough, I, I think we would have, we all expected them to to, um, to have an acceleration in, in cloud volumes, but Azure, GCP, and AWS all had 
let's say, deceleration. I mean, it, it doesn't mean they didn't grow. They just didn't grow as much as they expected to. But I think that's because different industries are looking at, at the cloud in different ways. And some have kind of uh, slowed down their spend. Other have accelerated their spend. And I think overall, a, a lot more people are being cautious. And I, I don't think it can, um, y- you know, they, they can all walk away winning from this. I mean, it's just a little too tough. I'm not sure about that. Yeah, exactly. So let, let me share that. An inside, somewhat inside perspective. So as I think you both know, uh, so we have uh, a service that runs across all three of these players. Uh, So a MongoDB customer can run on AWS, on Azure, or on Google Cloud, and it's pretty much transparent uh, from their point of view. There'll be slight differences based on, uh, uh, particularly based on where those uh, different clouds are available. Uh, But Mostly, it's pretty much the same from the point of view of our user. Uh, so what we've seen is lockdown has been a big factor. So some of the bigger projects maybe got put on ice in the spring when the lockdown first hit. And there were a lot more small projects, exploratory projects that got off the ground. That doesn't quite make up the same volume. So we had maybe the same or higher volume of individual projects because people were able to get away with experimenting a little bit more away from the rigid command and control of everyone being in the office. But on the other hand, all the bigger projects that benefit from that style of command and control uh, had a little bit of a hiccup of a stumble. Now we've started to see those big projects come back uh, and uh, and continue. So the continued migration from on-prem data centers into cloud, uh, away from managing their own infrastructure and even their own platform and moving to uh, IaaS and PaaS platform as a service that's resumed over the summer and uh, I was just on a call with IDC yesterday and they they very much confirmed that from their perspective so I'm sure that's also factoring in here so uh, some projects that might have uh, taken place got shifted in time so that's not to say those won't happen it's just that they happen further out and so slight deceleration in growth yeah this is going to end up being the year that never ends right I think um I, I think we'll see everything we expected to come to fruition this year, but it'll it might happen next year or, or, or in two years' time. So you're absolutely right. I think uh, companies are being a little more selective of what they what projects they start and don't start, and and that's clear in in what we see in the market. Well, I'm going to say something. I'm going to go out here on a on a big limb and say that we're seeing the beginning of the end of cloud as we know it. I think you see the cloud coming on prem. I think it's. Um, you know, I was going to ask you what you're seeing from a GDPR perspective with cloud in Europe, Dominic. That's what I was wondering. And if that's going to play a factor and if you see what's going on in, on Capitol Hill here in the U.S. and things like that. I just I just think in general, though, just look at the cloud providers. I mean, they're, you know, they say no hardware, but here they are producing hardware, putting it on prem. Obviously, I think um, it's the operational simplicity. But, you know, all that said, I mean, they, they got large market caps. They have a lot of contracts under their belt. They're not going away. But. I'm curious, Dominic, what do you see from GDPR? And is that getting in the way at all? Have they worked around it? Are there any issues there? So that's an ongoing topic. So right now, there's a little bit of uncertainty with uh, the Privacy Shield decision. And so it's not entirely clear uh, what the situation is with transatlantic data transfers that previously were covered by Privacy Shield explicitly, whether those are still allowed or not. Um, There may well have to be a test case decided uh, so that we we know exactly where everyone stands. But in terms of GDPR, uh, it's certainly a factor over here. Companies, especially in continental Europe, the UK is a little bit different for this. 
they care deeply about GDPR and they make decisions based on that. But that doesn't mean they don't go to cloud. It means that they want to use the regions and availability zones that are local to them. So a company in Germany wants to run in Frankfurt, maybe in uh, in Zurich. A company in uh, in France wants to run in the Paris region. You know, the the locality of data still matters, both for GDPR and for performance reasons, right? If you're going to query stuff locally, then it doesn't make sense if it's on the other side of the Atlantic in US East 1 or whatever. You might as well have it local and save yourself those extra few milliseconds of flight time. And, and you know, China, India, Brazil, they're all looking at uh, similar privacy laws. All it means oh, is that absolutely. These- yeah, and, and all it means is that these cloud players are going to have to develop and build data centers within those countries, create those those availability zones, and, and then run services a little different in those. So I, I don't think that, that... And you need a more intelligent app player on top of that. That's a, that's the big thing, because one of the ways in which, and not to get an all sales pitchy, but one of the ways in which we compete at MongoDB with some of the other database players is that we have the capability within the database. So without you having to write extra app code, but just within the database administratively to set a policy, this is data about a European citizen. It has to remain within the EU jurisdiction. Uh, This is data about US citizen. It can go to the US. This is data about an Indian citizen. It remains there. You You can have those policies and then force them in the database layer without developers having to mess around. Yeah, which means in those data centers, different services will be offered. So it won't be like a consistent. I, I think this is where it gets really interesting for the cloud providers. There won't be right. a consistent service across all the data centers. But what you're really seeing is the 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 cloud players are going to have to open a bit more on, on the transparency side. And, and people will have to know a little more of the, the underlying, right? So uh, I think that's where the shift is. So I, I don't think people are going to really repatriate. I think once it's in the cloud, it's in the cloud. It just depends which cloud you're going to move to. Yeah, and the interest there is uh, the also the control plane where the, the levers of control are. And Lydia Leong from Gartner, the cloud pundit herself, uh, wrote a piece about repatriation uh, where she she ripped apart some of the, the the easy narratives around repatriation. And I agree with her. I don't think it's happening in quite the way that some of the, the boosters of repatriation uh, claim. Nobody's reopening a data center today, 2020, that they'd, they'd shut down a couple of years ago. What is happening, though, is that the control is coming back. People are less willing to just hand over their IT lock, stock, and barrel to some outsourcer or system integrator and let them run it. Uh, as we said a couple of episodes ago, that way the the outsourcer, the system integrator, gets all the benefits of skill development and experience, and the customer doesn't get any of that. Instead, people are, are much more willing to piece together custom solutions with more different bits and pieces, but with the control and the development, the experience remaining in-house. So, so exactly. I, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Yeah, no, no, that's fine. Well, I was curious. I have a question and I have a comment. So first, uh, the comment, I, I think it's all around the operational simplicity, right? I think we've said it before. Cloud is a symptom of IT not doing it right. So coming back on-prem, they want to, you know, it's operationalized. If it can be easy and simple. I think to say the data center is dead, I think we've got to be a little bit careful. I mean, the cloud providers, you know, they, they want that narrative. That's, well, that's how their business grew. But, you know, in, in essence, there's going to be more hardware on-prem as, as they, you know, whether it's... Uh, you know, Outpost or whatever other solution that AWS has or Azure Stack or whatever it might be, right? 
So I, I don't know. I'm on the fence on that. I think this is interesting. I, I think the pendulum always goes back and forth. We go in cycles, and I, I feel like we're quietly just kind of going back into this cycle where there's there is more hardware, and but it's how you operationalize it and how you how you navigate that. We we never talk about Alibaba Cloud, and and I'd like you to give me your thoughts on that or what you're seeing in Europe around Ali Cloud. And then I also think if you think about this from a uh, I'm going to call it a cold war with China and the U.S. I mean, you talk about data. I mean, there's no secret that you know everybody's it's definitely data. definitely cold war too. This is cold yeah, war yeah. too. Yeah, 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 right, right. So I mean, we never we're not talking about that, but I think that's interesting too. And I think our our legislators here understand that as well, right? So they have to be real careful uh, because we're in this we're in this yeah, back and forth with with Europe. If you don't think Jinping uh, or um, uh, is over there in China right now saying, wow, these guys are crushing it. They have all this data. I want more data. I want to know what's going on. I need this data. You know, uh, you talk about 5G and, and stuff being pulled out. I think it's interesting, but I never hear about AliCloud, at least here. Do you hear about it there? And, and Mike, I'd, I'd like you to chime in too on this Cold War. So in Europe, you don't really see uh, Alibaba Cloud. They tried to make some inroads, but it's still mainly you hear about it in a Chinese, like China mainland context. And it's, you know, enormously successful there. It has a, uh, some really, really impressive numbers, uh, but it's very much a, a Chinese phenomenon. But you see that with a lot of these apps. Uh, when uh, we all talk about the Chinese chat apps that let you do all sorts of things, that let you run entire apps and microsites and payment services inside these chat apps, and in China, you can't live without one of those anymore as a tourist. Uh, from what I hear, I haven't actually been to China myself, but as a tourist, it's pretty much you have to have a phone with that installed and you either install it on your own personal phone or you rent a phone while you're there with these services installed. Otherwise, you can't call a taxi or pay for your lunch or whatever it is. Yeah, they tried to take that to India. It didn't take off at all. Complete flop. The only Chinese app that's taken off is uh, you know, TikTok. And that was based on something that was already buzzing, the Musical.ly uh, service that was already out there just under most people's radar. So AliCloud looks to me like having that same trajectory as being a very, very much Chinese phenomenon. We'll see if it starts taking taking hold in other places. Uh, Huawei, for instance, did. Huawei is much, much more popular for European telco operators uh, than pretty much anyone else because they have such a, an excellent price performance ratio if you ignore you know all other considerations uh, and so it's all over the place but alicloud not so much i think here it's a it's a function of of business right so i think you know when when you look at people's asia pack strategy i think what's what's changed is people talk about um data centers and cloud for apac and then for mainland china i think there's a very um, different approach that uh, people take to to the region versus China, where I think before everybody would just uh, lump the entire region together. Oh, no, you can't. I mean, even, even if you, as, as we were saying with the cloud, it, you say Amazon is worldwide, Amazon is in China, Amazon is not in China. Amazon has local companies that operate on their behalf, but is completely air-gapped from the rest of AWS. It's not the same AWS service. You can't get the same... Uh, the same services is pretty minimal offering that they have, and it's completely operated by third parties. So no, you cannot treat China the same as the rest of APAC. But you know, it's big enough to justify investing in differentiation. 
Yes, and, and which is why I think some people move to AliCloud, because I think from a mainline China perspective, you probably do want to be in AliCloud, and people will yeah. probably choose what they put in AliCloud and what they don't put in AliCloud. So I, I think there's a place for AliCloud. On the app side, I think, you, you know, there's there are, you know, because the Googles and the Facebooks are, are not in mainline China, I think what ends up happening is you have those competitors, those competitors run. And I think, Dominic, to your like app point, so WeChat is is the app that you must have in China from paying for items, from, you know, ordering um um, at a restaurant, I think there's there's a bark there's a, a scan code that you're going to scan everywhere, and and you know when you travel there, it it becomes a real pain in the butt if you don't have WeChat, right? And I think it's it gets really hard if you want to connect like WeChat to your bank account because you are not a Chinese citizen. So it, it does become really difficult if you're not a Chinese citizen to. Uh, to kind of function. And I think there they, you know, the, the Chinese need to figure it out. And, you know, with AliCloud and all of these, there's always going to be some worries of companies' privacy. And I think companies are starting to take that much more seriously. And yeah, I mean, it, it's going to affect the way people people react and work with China. But obviously, with, with those many people and the markets they're growing and the country coming of age, I don't think it's a market that that companies can ignore. No, very much agreed. It's somewhere you have to be and you have to figure out how to do business there or you make the decision not to go there. What you can't do is go into it sort of half tentatively uh, as Apple was finding out earlier this year when the Chinese government was flexing their muscles a bit and forced them to remove some apps that the Hong Kong protesters were using from that app store and even remove the Hong Kong and Taiwanese flags from the emoji keyboards uh, so that little petty moves like that, but Apple can't exactly say no because they're so dependent on China, both as a market and a manufacturing base. They tied both ways. Yeah, my my point was, though, I think I think the world has caught up to China's initiatives when it comes to data. I think that was my point. You know, where's all this data truly reside? And China wants it, right? They want to see it. So I think it'll be interesting. I I, I really truly think that. Uh, you know, especially with what's going on with Huawei and ZTE and this whole 5G, which I, 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 we might dive into. But uh, I, I just I think there's this yeah, there's this Cold War and it, a lot of it is over data. It's not a traditional war that we that we would think of. And um, I just think that, uh, that 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 they're missing out on this data. If they're just limited to data in China, then that doesn't do them. Uh, any good right so i think uh, i think it's interesting that's all that was my point i I think this is why so so i think to this like data point i I think what you hear a lot of a lot more about is cloud interoperability i think where your data is stored if it's stored in one cloud and you want another cloud to access it you know these ingress egress charges are are killing uh, some companies right so you pull it out you manipulate it you put it back right and i think now what you're what you're starting to see is some providers um allowing or building tools where you can you can compute somewhere else and and not have the ingress egress so i i think you're gonna start to see some some development and and some future changes there which make it real uh interesting to certain companies yeah this really is crossover with the day job week for me because <laughs> i just wrote a piece analyzing uh google bigquery omni which is a new thing they announced so bigquery is an existing data analytics, data warehousing platform that they have. But Omni is interesting because it will let you spin up a BigQuery infrastructure in another cloud. In AWS today, in Azure, they promise by the end of the year, uh, they use Google Anthos 
uh, to stand up that infrastructure and run the query. So if you have data that's residing in your AWS S3 buckets, let's say, and you want to take advantage of the BigQuery capabilities to look at it, previously you'd be looking at all of that ingress and egress. Now you can stand up the infrastructure in AWS, do your number crunching, and just export the result set, which is presumably much smaller. Again, I cut you off, Zach. (laughs) No, no, I was going to say, and can we get rid of the word cloud for a little bit? I mean, (laughs) I think it's funny. They still want to call it cloud, cloud, but they're coming on-prem. They're putting hardware back on-prem. They're putting hardware at the edge. So that's the other thing I should The edge, yeah, that's that's an interesting thing. I meant to jump on that when you said it before. I don't think people are going to open up data centers again. I do think we'll start to see a lot more hardware out there, but distributed in the solar farm, in the oil field, in the factory. Yeah, yeah, because I, I, I'm, <laughs> I, I feel like I need to write something too. Because I just, it's funny to me. I keep hearing cloud, cloud, and they're really, they're not being secretive, right? But they just don't say what they don't say. And it's like, oh yeah, it's all we're cloud. Yeah, cloud on prem. What is cloud on prem? Wait a minute, cloud is in the cloud now. Cloud, do you mean you're putting hardware on prem? But you're right, it's distributed, and and there is more hardware. Uh, they approach it differently. I mean, Amazon is approaching it as you know, hey, we own the stack. It's a black box, uh, which I think is dangerous because you know you're. You're buying it all from from one vendor, but um, but yeah, I, that's what I meant. You, you know, I, I think we need to look at this also from a, from another angle, right? I, I think from an enterprise side of it, when you look at cloud, you, you know, you start to lose worries about man, what's the underlying hardware? Like, how do I tie this all together? I mean, there, there's you know, someone's taking care of your OS updates, someone's taking care of your OS lifecycle, someone's taking care of your hardware lifecycle. So when it comes back on prem and they say cloud on prem, what what they really mean is they're going to send like dedicated hardware that you don't need to worry about that backend anymore, right? And I think you know companies that struggle to move onto the cloud because let's face it, we can talk about cloud all we want, but there are still companies struggling to get onto the cloud. I think those companies that are still struggling have those standard sysadmins that are still kind of the gatekeepers to the infrastructure. And those gatekeepers will never give up their control to an OS, to hardware, and actually start to talk about the cloud, right? And I think the movement to the cloud and what you see in the cloud providers with their offering of services, like we talk about no code to the business, like the the business users are, are starting to move to no code so they can bypass IT. I think now the developers, and when we talk serverless functions, this is where they're starting to bypass the sysadmins. And I think the cloud providers know this. And for them, it's really a jump of like, I, I, I kind of relate no code to serverless and functions because that's where they're going. That is the area where it's going to move. And that whole layer in between is going to be gone, right? And and I think that's the most uh, kind of important shift that's happening uh, in the market and and the cloud uh, area. So really, when you look at like Google making it so you can interoperate between different clouds, like like what Dominic said, that is kind of powerful because no one wants to be stuck with one because when one announces a function, man, if I can't use it with the other, I need to be able to move from, from one to the other quite easily. So these three big players, they own a lot of it now can, you know, and if you want to rope in AliCloud there. If AliCloud has something that the others don't, that's their dominant position. But I, I don't I don't hear any of that from from the AliCloud perspective. Well I agree with what you just said, Mike. One of the things you the statements you made, you shouldn't care about the hardware. Absolutely agree. One hundred percent agree. It's all the operational how do you operationalize that? You shouldn't care about it. And that does lend to the business, by the way. So we talked earlier, you know, a couple of episodes ago maybe, right? We talked about low code, no code and the business, you know, in IT. And what you're saying lends, you know, <laughs> heavily towards the side of the business, right? The business can now do things and not worry about having somebody come Come in and install it, and then have your, 
you know, your virtualization guy and your storage guy, you're right. They don't care. They just want to be up and running, drop and go. Uh, now they each approach it differently, but I, I agree with you 100%. My whole point in all of this is, you know, just cloud, cloud, cloud. Maybe it's a different type of cloud. Maybe we call it Stratus Cloud. <laughs> I don't know, but you know, it's. Um, I just kind of chuckle, but uh, yeah, I, I think it's. Uh, I think it's interesting, and um, we'll, we'll wait for someone at uh, Gartner who's overpaid to come up with a term, <laughs> and then that will be the new standard that everybody adopts. There, that that's how it really works. Let's face it. Let's face it. <laughs> uh, uh, it didn't didn't take off with bimodal. Everyone's still making fun of them for that, but. Um... <laughs> They're sticking to it. I found it in a 2019 document, and they're structuring it all by bimodal, mode one, mode two. Oh, that it's brings still, back memories. It, oh, no, you're giving me some, it's, some nightmares. It still comes up, Dominic, in, in, in enterprise talk, and it, it's still like, yeah, fast IT, slow IT. I mean, they, they just have uh, this this grip on things. But but now that their conferences won't happen, I don't know that anybody's going to talk about them so much anymore. So, conferences. Yeah, Definitely. Yeah, these conferences are another another interesting thing in the industry. I, I tell you guys, I, I've I feel like we've been striking out on these virtual events. I'm not getting a lot of value out of them, and uh, they keep approaching me with, with these events and saying, trying to uh, uh, convince me that the original amount I paid I should keep. Uh, they should keep all that money, and that this event's going to be just as good. And I just keep giving it one more try, and they are not. I, I'm curious what you guys are seeing on the event front. You know, this is the biggest. Like, I, I can't believe, like, from a tech industry, we we realize that like physical events won't happen, and then what we're trying to do is take that physical event and mirror it online. Like that that doesn't work. You gotta you gotta rebuild something for online. And I I think these like one day, two day, three day like events moving online is a complete disaster. You know, we go to events for for three reasons. One, to meet vendors. That will not work online because how are you going to create that? That I, I don't know how that gets created. And then the other two things, which are the most important, is one, the keynote. So, okay, you still need to have keynotes. And then product launches. I think the fact that companies are still holding all these product launches for like conferences and events is ridiculous. I think they need to come out. They need to have a bit of a, a more, you know, grand like, hey, two hours, we're, we're announcing something, you know, a short keynote. And people will, will absorb that. But to sit there for a whole day on, on these these events is, is ridiculous online. You will not get the attention. You will not get people who care. You, you won't even be able to see kind of your audience and, and how they're reacting to it. So I, I think it has to be a whole different take. Now, that's for companies. I, I don't know how Gartner does it because I, I mean, I, I don't know if Gartner is still putting on conferences or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I know, Zach, you're probably going to hate this idea, but I actually don't dislike Google's approach as they've spread out their event over nine weeks or something ridiculous. And Yeah, here's two months of my life. Take it, Google. Yeah, but that's the thing. I I already never went to every session at uh, in-person events. Uh, for a start, they're tracked, so I would focus on the one track that I was interested in. And even then, I'd probably be bouncing in and out and having impromptu coffee meetings with people instead of going into the actual sessions. So this isn't actually that different. Spreading it out this much means... You have minimal collisions. So what they've done is every week is a topic. So I'm interested in the week of whatever it is, 21st of August or something like that, uh, which is database, data analytics, all of that good stuff. And so I'm going to be able to, to focus during that. For the whole of the rest of it, um, I might pick and choose a couple of other things. Uh, the idea that I would watch you know, a 24, 48-hour uh, conference and I would 
dedicate those two days to it, three days, whatever it is, in the same way that I would if I'd had to fly to Vegas or Orlando or whatever. Uh, that's the the version that I find less realistic. The idea of being able to dip into this vast catalog uh, more or less at my leisure and it drops in predictable ways. Um, after having thought about it, I think I actually like that better. But is this this is but this is what Mike just said. So I, you know, the idea of a conference is you get everybody together, you get that energy. You have two, three, four days, right, where everybody's there and you have you know announcements. You're doing all this stuff. Everybody's talking to each other. All this is is a webinar. This isn't even a conference. I, I, they're calling it a conference. They they might. As well oh yeah, yeah. We have weekly webinars, right? Exactly. So if that's the case, I mean, are they are they trying to generate the same result? Or are they just trying to stay in front of you? I. I I don't know. I'm. I, I, no, that I part sucks. Yeah, and there are all sorts of factors to it as well. Time zones is another. If yeah. I fly to Vegas and everybody in my industry flies to Vegas for reinvent, then we've agreed that we're going to be on Vegas time for that week, and ever, everything happens on that basis. If I'm here at home in Italy and I'm trying to attend an event that's running on Vegas time, that's going to play absolute hell with my schedule. That's not feasible for me. I can watch the early morning sessions, but something in the late afternoon, it's either recorded or it's lost to me. <laughs> you, you know, you, you move these things online, it, it's, it's considered social, right? I mean, it, what, they, what they need to do, these conference operators, is build something that has a social, a, a social part to it, right? Where people interact. And, and it seems that the tech industry hovers to two sources. That's, that's Twitter and, and LinkedIn. And I think here, LinkedIn has an opportunity where they can be that, you know, room or that conference room and, and build a solution around it because that's where most people interact. Now, you know, you know who they're owned by, you know, you know, if companies try to do something on LinkedIn, you know, it's, it's Microsoft's data. So I, I think people are going to be worried, but I think LinkedIn here has an opportunity to win in, in this industry. I, I think they're just, uh, they're just missing it. And, and I think, yeah, how do you get that, that interaction that's missing and that social behavior? Somehow somebody needs to unlock it. Somebody's going to win at conferences. And if they make it where it's not easy for other people to repeat, I, I think they have a, a, a real winner. Yeah, I mean, as someone said, uh, what we need is like uh, an analysis show. So after every day of the conference or at the end of the week, whatever it is, you get something that says, well, this is what the really important things that happened today. And here's a discussion of them among experts, the recap version like we have for televised sports. You don't maybe watch every game of the Olympics, but there's a uh, you know, 20 minutes catch up thing where you can see what the medal standing is, you know, that kind of equivalent. I think we've uh, rounded up most of the big news. The, the one thing that we didn't talk about was GPT-3. Uh, so let's try and give it the 30 seconds treatment. Um, I struggle to get super excited about GPT-3, not because I'm not amazed by the technical results, but because I'm worried about what people will do with the blasted thing. It's going to make it very, very hard to distinguish spam and things like that that's that's my concern that because it's 2020 someone will use it to troll in a more innovative way and rather than try to save the world and improve the lot of humanity yeah if you think about that i think about liability i mean think about some court cases that are uh, there's one in the supreme court docket for next year that touches on uh, who's accountable uh there's some kind of uh, a hack or something last year and uh it was done by, like, to your point, Dominic, right? It was AI driven. So, you know, who's accountable? I, I think there's a whole other legal side of this. And I agree with you. I mean, it's, yeah, it's a text predictor and you're right. I mean, there's some, there's some, definitely some faults with it. Um, 
but I think it's a starting point. It's an evolution. We're at the beginning of that. But I, I think, you know, wow, what kind of legal ramifications are we looking at with all of this, you know, in the near, very near future? Uh, you guys are not of uh, the move fast and break things camp and then and then let policy catch up, I guess. Uh, no, I you know, it's it's kind of hard to say. But I mean, I, I, I saw some comparisons from GPT two to GPT three. So so this is like um, for, for those of you that don't know, it's like text prediction. Um, so like when you write a Gmail email and it predicts what you're going to write, but um, a, a thousand times more powerful, I would say. So like 165 billion data sets pumped in and 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 it's it's actually fairly impressive, right? I've seen it continue uh, to write articles that somebody else started, and it's actually pretty on point. Uh, I've seen it uh, do like uh, SQL queries where somebody just writes, hey, this is what I need, and then it translates, it translates it into an SQL query. I, I think they have it limited to only people who belong in, in, in the OpenAI project have access to it. But I think it will unlock uh, some use cases. I mean, I, I don't think we've seen the like killer use cases, but yeah, I, I think you'll have like the bad and the good. Uh, but I think ultimately the good will will outweigh the bad. I I think it's it's really impressive, and um, I, I think it is a, a huge step forward um, for AI. Although Sam Altman, who who runs OpenAI, kind of kind of downplayed it and, and saying they have a long a long way to go, uh, which to me probably means that it's a lot better than we think, right? Yeah, definitely a discussion worth continuing. I, I think uh, maybe a discussion around AI in general and what's what's happening. I think it'll be. Uh, I think there's a lot going on that we're not really talking about as much lately. Maybe it's because of everything else going on in the news. But some interesting advancements. Yeah, we missed Skynet because we were all having an argument about Twitter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Ironic. Skynet is coming. Skynet is coming. Yeah. Okay. Well, good stuff as ever. Uh, Let's leave it there for this week. I look forward to talking to you both next week. Thank you all. Thanks, everybody. 